So in Galatians chapter 1, I'm going to read just the first five verses with you. Um, And I'm going to start this morning, I think, a, a little bit of a series in this book. So let's read those first five verses. He says, Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by men, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. And all the brethren which are with me, under the churches of Galatia. Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Um, The book of Galatians is one that I know I, I haven't preached as much from, for some reason. Uh, I think that's true. I, I haven't really, I don't, I don't do as good as a lot of pastors as far as they track and catalog all of their sermons and when they preach what and where. Um, I'm not a very good uh, organizer like that. But I think probably um, books like Philippians, Ephesians, have been... I've been drawn to them a little more often than perhaps uh, Galatians. And certainly that is not because there's not a lot of great material here or that Galatians has uh, some wonderful things. And it it actually does hold a very special place in my heart. Um, It's been called by some commentators the Declaration of Independence for Christians. Uh, I saw one that's called it the Magna Carta of Spiritual Liberty. And the theme of Galatians overall is the, the freedom, the liberty that we have in Christ. And we'll, of course, see much more of that as we make our way through the book. But um, it's, a, it's a message about how in Christ we are free. I'll give you a, a, just a sample of that in the key verse, I think, in Chapter 5, verse 1. It says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Now, I said this book has a certain place in my heart. It's one of those times where I know most of you would uh, can maybe think of some passages where um, you read them perhaps a few times, and then at some point in your life, God used that scripture to really settle something or help you or or maybe just the light came on as you read it and you you kind of realized uh some new spiritual truth and the book of galatians is a little bit like that for me because when i was a brand new christian um i didn't have the same privilege that many of you have had in the sense that when you got saved a lot of you, at least, were connected with a good Bible-believing church. And what a, what a great asset that is, to be able to get discipleship from, uh, you know, from a local church and, and somebody who's, of course, a little older in the Lord and, and those kind of things. Well, as a lot of you know, I was saved during my basic training for the military and sent immediately to Italy. And um, there wasn't, of course, a a real church, a local church that spoke English that I knew of. And so I went to the base chapel. 
And, uh, I, I, you know, the base chapels, I've said this before, they can be a mixed bag. Uh, probably the majority of time, the chaplains that they have in the military come from a very theologically liberal background. And many times uh, uh, they're not born-again believers. It's simply a, a position for them, a job. And so you don't get the spiritual feeding, you know, the spiritual nurturing that you can find in a, in a biblical church. But that's what was available, and thankfully there were Bible-believing Christians there that did help me. But at, with all of that, I, I kind of struggled in the sense of really having a, an assurance of my salvation. And I imagine that some of you probably can relate to that. Um, I, I got saved as a, a young man out of a sinful life. And I was very, very uh, tired, I guess is the only word I can think of. I was just, I was fed up with the way I was living. I knew that my sin was evil. I knew it was wrong. I knew I wasn't right with God. And I knew I didn't want to continue that way. And thankfully, I did know the gospel. That much I did know, and I called upon the Lord to save me. And I know it. I know it today that the moment I did that, I placed my faith, I repented of my sins, and I trusted in Jesus Christ, I was saved. And my life began to change. But yet there was still, of course, as all of us are familiar, uh, there were still things I wished I didn't do, but I did, and things I wished I did that I didn't do, like Paul said in Romans chapter 7. And so there were doubts in my mind, and I believe probably Satan would like to use them against us, the accuser of the brethren, to tell me that, you know, well, you, you're not really saved. Uh, it didn't really work. You don't, you know, you don't really have anything, and just forget about it. You know, to go back to your old life. And there were those kind of nagging thoughts, but I knew that I didn't, I, you know, it's like Peter, when Jesus said, well, you too go away. I said, to whom shall I go? I've been there. I've tried all of that. I don't want to go back to that. And so I kept on persevering because the Holy Spirit was working in my life. But I began to read the book of Galatians. And while I was somewhere, I don't know what exactly passage it was, but there was somewhere in the middle of my study and pondering the book of Galatians. I can remember still to this day, and it's over 35 years ago, I still remember to this day reading it and it really settled in my heart that I was born again. I, I remember praying this prayer. I remember saying, Lord, the best I know how, I am trusting You with all of my heart for the forgiveness of my sins and my salvation. And it was just as if the Lord kind of spoke to my heart. Now, I've never heard an audible voice uh, you know, or anything like that of God, but but it's, it's almost as though the Lord said to my heart, that's all I've asked you to do, is trust in me, believe upon me. And that brought great peace to my heart. It settled in my heart that I was saved. And from that day to this, I've never doubted it again. And so there's that, that assurance came as I studied the book of Galatians. Now, this is a wonderful book. We're only going to introduce 
the book and the thought, and we're really going to just kind of focus on what we find in these first five verses. And in them, I see only two points. I really kind of searched for three, because I like three points. (laughs) But I only, I, I could have forced a third, but I thought, well, I better stick with what we have. And so, but you know, let me just say something else about freedom. When it comes to the Christian freedom, the liberty, the spiritual freedom that we have, it's such a wonderful thing. And really, it's, of course, it's first of all, and first and foremost, it's true that when we receive Christ, we're free from sin. We're free from condemnation. We've been saved from the penalty, the punishment of sin. We've been saved even from the dominating power that sin had over us. We'll see that when we get down to verse 4. And one day, ultimately, we will be saved from the very presence of sin when we are in heaven with God. What a wonderful day that will be. But there's, you know, that, that liberty, Jesus said this, He said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Um, the Lord said this, it says in uh, John chapter 8, If the Son, therefore, shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. And I hope you understand that great freedom. Uh, you know, it's, it's even, it even applies when it comes to, I was thinking about, obviously we're free from all the guilt and the condemnation of sin. Um, we're free from the law. The Bible tells us we're going to see that in this book. But you know, we're free from the world and free from really all of the things that drag people down. I, I was thinking even about COVID and all the restrictions and all of that. And we've gone through it and it's been frustrating. I, I understand that. But you know, I'm, I'm, this whole time I've felt, you know, let, let them do whatever they want to do. Let people say whatever they want to say. I'm, I'm, I'm free from that. It doesn't bother me. We can, we can live on a plane that's higher than that. And I hope you have. I hope you've been able to transcend all of this stuff that's going on and just say, look, these things will come and these things will go, but at the end of the day, I know I am saved. I know I have a home in heaven. And whichever way the world's going to go in the next ten years, I don't really know. I just know this. I know that God has it all in control. And I know that in Christ, I don't have to worry. Uh, they may lock down. They may do all these things. But I'm still free. I can still worship God. I can still live in the liberty that Christ gives me. And so there's a great comfort in that. There's a great hope in that. And that freedom that we have. Well, let me, the two points I mentioned that we have just two, and they are really this the man and the message. That's kind of the title of the message as well the man and his message. Because we see Paul, the apostle, in verse number one, this man, and um, he is. He is writing, I've got to give you a little bit of background, he's writing to churches. You'll notice in verse number 2, unlike a lot of books where it says the church at Corinth or the church at Philippi, 
It says here, plural, the churches of Galatia. Galatia was not a city, rather it was a region. And the region of Galatia had several cities in which Paul and Barnabas had traveled and they had began churches. Um, There was the city of Lystra and Iconium and Derbe and even one called Antioch of Pisidia. And in those cities where Paul and Barnabas traveled, they established churches. And this is the churches that he's writing back to. He writes a collective letter uh, to the churches. And so, he, he's dealing with something. Let me, let me show you, when we think about the man, if you look at verse 1 again, he, he gets right to it. He, calls, he kind of greets them, sort of. It's interesting, the biblical letters, they sign them at the beginning, right? Uh, they always start out, who's writing? We always have to wait till we get to the end of the letter and then find out who it was written by. But they start out at the beginning. Paul, an apostle. Not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And he mentions in verse 2, there were all the brethren that were with him. So, what I, what I see about this greeting, this, sal- this salutation, whatever you want to call it, this introduction to his letter, is it is kind of unique. And it's unique for a couple of reasons, not the least of which is that it's rather curt. It's a little bit uh, direct. In other words, when Paul wrote to Philippians or Colossians or Ephesians, uh, he often would say things like, um, you know, I thank God upon all of my remembrance of you and, and I cease not to pray for you. And even when he wrote to the church at Corinth, a church that he had to give a lot of correction to, you know, you find Paul actually in the First Corinthians chapter 1, he takes almost an entire chapter talking about how uh, they came behind in no gift of the Spirit and how uh, God had done such a great work in Corinth. And so Paul often takes time, as it's common, even when Jesus wrote to the seven churches in Revelation, you remember that his, his message to them always started with... Um, kind of a positive, I know your works. I know what you're going through. And then he would get around to saying, but I have somewhat against you, you know, and he would give them that correction. But here we find Paul uh, doesn't take much time for niceties or uh, for greeting. He just simply gets right to the point. And the reason why Paul in this letter, I believe, is getting directly to the point is because there was something very serious that needed to be dealt with. And I think you probably know what that something is. Um, You know, it comes up real quick in verse number 8, 9, where he talks about, though an angel from heaven preach any other gospel, let him be accursed. And so, uh, the, the problem that was going on in the region of Galatia was not an uncommon problem as far as like, they were not the only region dealing with this. But it had really taken hold and was becoming a great threat to the churches in Galatia was what is commonly referred to as the Judaizers. And we'll get very familiar with that term before this study is done. But um, let me just say for today, there were Jewish 
Christians, people who claim to uh, follow Christ, maybe some of them had been saved, maybe some of them were kind of like the book of Hebrews where they were numbered among the Christian churches, but they were still holding on to the Old Testament and still clinging to the law. And and, uh, we saw that in the church of Jerusalem. I'll point it out probably more as we go along, but not today just know that they would go to churches that Paul had established and said that except you be circumcised, you cannot go to heaven. Except you keep some of the mosaic traditions and laws, you cannot be saved. And Paul was trying to convey to them that that's another gospel, which is not another. There's not more than one gospel. There's one true gospel and then there's false gospels that cannot save, that do not save. And so, as I say, Paul got right to the point. And when you think about this, who did Jesus have the most harsh words for? Who did the Lord probably rebuke more than any other? Was not so much the publicans and the harlots and the sinners, right? Sure, He said to them, go and sin no more. But his, his greatest battles was with the religious people. His greatest difficulty was not with uh, the, the sins that plague societies, although certainly He came to save and deliver people from them and, and you know, delivering them from them that they not go back to them. But the biggest and probably the most dangerous is when it comes to religious heresy. False doctrine. And the reason because that's the reason that why that's so dangerous should be pretty apparent. Because people believing that they are going to heaven are actually lost. That's why Jesus said in Matthew seven, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not done this and that and this and that? And he says, depart from me, I never knew you. One of the saddest things is is when you have churches filled with people going through their religious activities, believing that uh, that will earn them a place in heaven, but they've never put their faith in the finished work of Christ. And they are going to be sadly, and I think... uh, what would be the right word? I think it's going to be with, with great horror they will find out that their faith was in error. And that's one of the saddest things. And so, false religion keeps people from heaven. False religion damns people to hell. I'll say it bluntly. False religion, and even in when it is mixed in with with true religion, these, these Galatian believers were true born-again believers. But they're, you know, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. And the situation could change if, if, this doc, if this gospel was not clarified, if those doctrines were not laid down very, very carefully and solidly and, and not uh, waving, no wavering in them. And it's still true today. We need to be sure that we 
we preach the true gospel and, and that we stand on the true doctrines of, of God. And so Paul uh, is very careful about this. And I think it's important that we are careful about doctrine. Not only do I see that in just his uh, kind of directness with his greeting, <clears throat> but we also find he, he has to, um, in a little way, defend his apostleship. Paul sadly had to do this quite commonly. When he says an apostle, and then he gives this detail, this, this little parenthesis you see there, not of men, neither by man, but by Christ. He's, he's saying that, listen, the gospel that I preach to you is the gospel of Christ. I didn't get it from men. It's not what some church taught me. It's not from, uh, you know, some school or some, some denomination. It's from God. It's the gospel of God. And in that, Paul is, is really establishing his authority. Now, this is a very important uh, detail here. I hope you understand how important it is. When we think about the authority that we, um, we base our faith on, it's very important. Paul was defending, he was clarifying, he was establishing, he was stating very clearly the authority that he had as an apostle of Christ. Now, um, I know it's still a, a very important issue. I can remember well. It hasn't happened recently, but when I uh, came to Castlegar and we started Castlegar Baptist Church, and we were out knocking doors, inviting people, and people would come and visit, I, I heard the question so many times, numbers and numbers of times. People asked me, uh, "So, where is your headquarters?" <laughs> well, you know, what, by what authority are you here? That's what they wanted to know. And it's a fair question. It's a good question. Because we want to know, uh, this preacher, where's his authority? What is he basing his ministry on? And of course, I would try to explain to them, we are an independent Baptist church, and so we don't have a headquarters. <laughs> We have a hard time finding our hindquarters. We, we don't have a headquarters. Um, but we do have a head. The head of the church is Christ. And so, uh, our authority is the Word of God. You see, the apostles, when you, when you study the New Testament, you find out that the apostles were emissaries, they were messengers, they were ambassadors for Christ. And in some sense, we are today, but not in the same sense as the apostles. Uh, the Bible makes clear, I was reading this morning in my devotional reading in Ephesians, and uh, Paul made the statement there that the church was built on the foundation of the apostles. Um, you remember in the book of Acts, it says they continued in the, the apostles' doctrine. Paul calls the gospel sometimes three times I found in the New Testament where Paul said according to my gospel now I would never make a claim like that but listen to this verse um, I haven't looked at my notes I got to catch up here where are we 
Uh, listen to this verse in Romans chapter 16. It says, Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began. Again, in Ephesians, you probably know that Paul talks about this thing he calls the mystery that was unknown before but now is being revealed. And that mystery was the mystery of of the New Testament church, really, of Christ coming and, and Gentile people being saved and Jews and Gentiles uniting in one body called the New Testament church. The, the Old Testament saints really knew nothing of that. And all of that was revealed, it was by revelation that Paul received as an apostle. You see, the apostles uh, preached and taught and wrote and, and established things that uh, were built upon and founded in the Old Testament, but really revealed by the apostles, the New Testament doctrines that we know and love. And then when they, when that was established, John the Apostle on the Isle of Patmos was the last one. The Apostle John died. And there's never been an apostle since. I know there's some birds running around today that call themselves apostles. But they are not apostles in the same sense in which the twelve, Paul and Peter and, and John and James, as these were apostles of God. Today we don't have apostles. But that was their authority. And Paul established, he mentioned that authority. He spoke with great authority. He said in Philippians chapter 3, I, I kind of like how he said this, he said, let us therefore as many as be perfect or mature, be thus minded. And if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. What is he saying there? He's saying, uh, you know, basically, if you have any spiritual maturity, you'll see what I'm telling you is true. Because it's of God. Now, today, what is our authority? What I want you to understand is this. I'll try to put it very clearly. People today that come around and they say they are apostles or they're this or that, and they say they have revelations from God. You can ignore them. Because there is no new revelation from God. We have the complete revelation of God in this book. And there's great... You know, that, that helps us so much when we understand that. Because you always have people that come and say, well, I had a dream, and I had a revelation, and I had the vision, and these sort of things. And, and you, you, you know, are we to believe them? Are we to go after them? Are we to follow that? Well, the answer is no. And so you don't have to even think about it, worry about it, pray about it. Just understand that all that you need for faith and practice is in this book. And so I, I actually am very careful to try not to use too much language. Like, you know, we, we do say, um, I, I believe with all my heart God called me to be a pastor. That call came not in a vision, not in a dream, not in some audible voice, but God just led me and pressed in me and, 
and it seemed as though I could do nothing else, God moved me in that way. And God does lead us. But, but we have to be careful. I don't, I don't try to use too much language like, you know, the Lord told me to preach this message this morning. Now, I prayed about it. I like to think I'm being led of God. But, you know, I know some pastors, they say these things, God told me this and God told me that. And, and when you're out in the congregation like I was for a while, I was thinking, well, how come God isn't telling me things like that? You know, I don't hear uh, a voice in my head. I don't have that. Is, is there something lacking in me? And I finally come to understand that they're just simply expressing how they feel God was leading them in their heart. And I, I said this many times. I pray and say, Lord, would you guide my thoughts? And I believe the Holy Spirit does that. But, but what is our authority? I, I don't come to you with any kind of message of my own. I can only come to you and say, here's what the Bible says. And let's study the Bible together. Let's find out what the Bible has to say. That's where we get our authority. It's from the Scriptures. And so Paul, the Apostle, not of men, but of God, he learned what he knew, what he preached, directly from the Lord. And in this sense, we do the same. We learn it from the Word of God, the Scriptures. So that's the man. Now, let me just point out the message and we'll be done. It says there in verse number 3, Grace and peace... Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Those are great words, aren't they? Grace and peace. We all know, I hope, a little bit of what grace means. Let me give you a, a definition. I've heard lots of definitions of grace. Uh, the, probably the most common is unmerited favor. Certainly grace is that. When we think about saving grace, for by grace are you saved through faith. It's not earned. It's not merited. I heard one preacher say, it's not only unmerited, but it's unmeritable favor. Nothing you could do would make you worthy of the grace of God. And that's why John Newton said, it's an amazing grace. It's that favor of God. But that's not all. Uh, I've heard it expressed as in an acronym. Uh, how's it go? God's riches at Christ's expense. There's a lot of good truth in that. By the grace of God, we, we receive the riches of heaven, the great riches of grace of God. And it came at the expense of Christ when He gave Himself on the cross. And so I'm not saying those are wrong or bad definitions. They're good. But there's a little more to it than that. You know, Paul talked about, uh, I am what I am by the grace of God. When I think about in Second uh, uh, Corinthians chapter 8, Paul said, I would you to wit of the grace of God bestowed upon the churches of Macedonia. And he talked about how they gave, and they gave as they were enabled by God's grace. So here's a definition I wrote down, and it's not one that I thought up, I heard another preacher say this, but I thought it, it fit. It's God's unmerited favor 
that gives us both the desire and the ability to do God's will. You see, it's first of all His unmerited favor, and then God in His grace makes us willing and able to do what He wants us to do. Sometimes we'll say, you know, um, by the grace of God I was able to do this. And what we're saying is that God enabled me. God made me willing and He made me able. And so he writes grace. And the result of operating in God's grace is peace. When we function in the grace of God, we're, we're living our lives by grace, we find that peace. The freedom that we talked about at the beginning. And so... Our great need is for grace. For God to do things in our life and our motivations that only God can do. To live by the grace of God. And finding that peace. Verse number 4. And we know this message. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ who gave Himself for our sins. Now we we've talked much about that in the last few weeks, Easter time, and but you know we we never can repeat it too often how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture. He gave Himself. He was our sacrifice. And why did He do that? That He might well for our sins, right? Our sins which condemned us, our sins which separated us from God, He dealt with, He met the need, He took care of, that He might deliver us, and notice what it says there, from this present evil world. So not only are we delivered from our condemnation and guilt of sin, but we're delivered even out of this present evil world. And again, that's that freedom that we can... You know, when you get saved, when you became born again, it it took me a little time to have an assurance of that. But looking back, I can tell you that my relationship to the world changed the moment I trusted Christ as my Savior. Not only was this world not my home and and I was only passing through, but the things of this world grew strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. I, was, I told you I was reading Ephesians this morning. I read chapter 2 where he said, You hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, who walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, according to the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. You see, that's where I lived my life. I lived in that uh, realm that Satan had, you know, in the darkness of, of his kingdom and led by all the whims of the flesh and the wiles of the devil. But God delivered me out of that. And aren't we thankful? And He delivered us out of that that we no more, you know, live among, you know, we live in the world but not of the world. Tonight we're going to see a message out of uh, Ezekiel chapter 23 and and um, it really has a lot to do with that. How Israel had played the harlot with the world. 
And so what, what is sad too oftentimes is Christians, they get saved from the world, but because of other worldly Christians, they get sucked back into the world. And He's delivered us, He rescued us from this present evil world, and that was according to the will of God the Father. And so that's the message that the man, Paul, preached. And he, he kind of gives it at the beginning in summary. He, he sums it right up there. This is the Gospel, that Christ gave Himself for our sins and He has rescued us out of this evil world and He fulfilled the will of God the Father. And then he ends with, To whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now usually amen comes at the end, right? But he put the amen there because that is the summary. That's, that's in a nutshell the message. Now he's going to go on to elucidate that message throughout the rest of the book. But there it is. The message of Christ who gave Himself for our sins, who delivered us out of this evil world by the will of God. And we should all say, to God be the glory. Great things He hath done. And so that's the introduction, friends, to the book of Galatians. Um, those kinds of messages maybe are not as... Uh, I don't know, they're not as feel-good, perhaps, but we all need reminded that we have an authority and we have to establish truth because when religion errors, when doctrines get muddy, people, their souls are at stake. And so... We need to stand clearly and solidly on the authority of God's Word. And the message is plain. Christ died for our sins. And He has delivered us and He wants us to live a life free from the world, free from sin. And He's given us that grace to do that. And so I hope that's a help to you this morning. Let's take a moment and bow for prayer.